The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining. Vilkamin. V. Gates, Michael. How are you? Of course, that was a little bit of German just to start off the podcast. Hopefully I got that right. Uh, Mike, we're obviously joined today uh, by Jem Kansu uh, from Duolingo. I thought that was fantastic. You must have been uh, enthralled because you're a super user of the app. Yeah, it was kind of a bit of a fanboy moment for me today, just because uh, if you listen to the episode, I'm not going to repeat it now because you'll have to hear it twice. But uh, I am what what I think you would call one of the super users of, of Duolingo for sure. Uh, so to be able to talk to Jem today, who is the vice president of product at Duolingo and, you know, was obviously the driving force behind Duolingo launching its subscription product that we talked about today, Super Duolingo. Um, just really cool, I think, to also just kind of get some inside baseball from him, you know, what goes into it. I think even the the data insights that he was sharing were also mm-hmm. really interesting in terms of like when people decide you know, to start learning a language, you know, if there's peaks and valleys, I mean, it's kind of obvious, but I never really thought of it that obviously with it being the new year, um, you know, people will make a resolution to say like, this is the year that I finally learned how to speak French. So I can talk to, you know, my grandmother or, you know, so I, when I go traveling this summer, I at least have some survival French as, as Jim called it when he was talking to us. So, yeah, but yeah, you always just think I'm always fixated on like fitness goals in January. But of course, there's all sorts of resolutions that people have. And I'm sure language is is obviously a, a big one of those uh, of those. Right. Free your mind, Michael, free your mind. <laughs> I think um, and it's it just it goes without saying that Duolingo is obviously obviously the app that helps you learn languages. Um, mm-hmm. We ended up getting a bit too carried away and just started talking about baseball without mentioning what Duolingo was. But uh, I think Jem gives a good job of uh, of uh, setting that uh, for us. And in fact, I think it's time to go to Jem uh, Kansu. We're back. And we're now very pleased to be joined by Jem Kanzu, who is the vice president of product at Duolingo, where he leads the product management, user uh, research, and product operations functions. He previously led Duolingo's monetization efforts, helped build the brand's freemium business model, and grew company revenue from $0 to more than $300 million a year. He spearheaded the development of Duolingo subscription products, Super Duolingo, which now makes up more than 75% of Duolingo's revenue. Previously, he served on Google's advertising business team. Jem holds a, a BS in industrial engineering uh, from Bill Kent University, a master's in engineering and financial engineering from Cornell University, and an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. And now he is a guest on the Unlikely Innovators. Jem, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Great to be here. It's great to have you. So I know that in your bio, we kind of talked a little bit about where you were before you joined Duolingo, and we want to spend a lot of time today on Duolingo. Um, But before we get there, we always like to ask our guests about their career path and to find out whether or not it was an unlikely or a winding journey to get to where you are. But maybe can you talk about how your your degree and your studies in industrial engineering shaped your journey uh, to where you are now at Duolingo? Uh, Absolutely. Um, And I feel like a lot in, in generally any career path, there's always some unlikely or unwinding paths, and, and mine is probably not that different. Um, so I, I grew up in Turkey. Um, that's why my name is spelled with a C, but pronounced like a G. Um, and yeah, I studied industrial engineering in college, mainly because I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do, but optimizing stuff was fun and, and still feels that way. Um, and, and industrial engineering at the end is a study of How do you optimize processes? How do you find roadblocks? Generally, I think it came out of the need for doing it for things like factories and manufacturing lines. But as it evolved, uh, the the practice kind of applies to a lot of 
um, any process you can kind of take and improve. Um, and um, my winding path was um, uh, wanted to apply that to financial engineering, got a master's there. Um, as I was doing soul searching, decided to join Google because technology and applying the skill set there seemed interesting. However, I think the, the skill set of just generally engineering and trying to um, take a pro and have like a creative and analytic way to solve a problem was helpful all across. Uh, eventually, my path to products was was pretty winding. Um, and as, as I went to business school, um, I really enjoyed being in technology, but I didn't um, enjoy too much of just being uh, in business development. So products seemed like the natural fit for what, what seemed interesting to me. Um, and coming out of business school, I joined Duolingo uh, to work on products. So the, the story of, of me coming to Duolingo I tried a bunch of stuff. It was industrial engineering, financial engineering, and then eventually business development. Um, and and I do feel like I found kind of what I was looking for, um, combining those skill sets in product, because you do get to solve a lot of creative problems. You have to be pretty analytical to work on a consumer product that generates a lot of data to make good database decisions. And you need a decent amount of creativity to uh, to innovate and, and, and create good products. So I think it combined... Um, the stuff I was interested in and what I what I kind of had learned to do, um, and I've I've now been at Duolingo for 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 now six years um, doing those. That's such an interest. It's so great to have you on, uh, Jim. But it, it's such a great. It's almost as if you're inadvertently training to be in charge of the growth strategy because you know you have to have that business development background. You have the financial piece, and then you've also put yourself in the sort of shoes of the customer when it comes to product. You've you've, you've sort of lived the duolingo experience from from the from the point of view of the client as you do when you're developing uh interesting products um you know as users of you know apps it's it's so interesting because we never think about you know the monetization strategy that goes behind keeping these companies and growing these companies can you talk about how you took the company from essentially zero revenue uh to 300 million dollars a year what was that path like because it's not just like flicking a switch and now you pay for a service there's there's some thought going in there how do you how do you get into the minds of the the user to to do that yeah so this will be a little bit of history on duolingo and maybe it is worth mentioning uh what duolingo is for anybody that might listen uh and 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 not fully aware so duolingo right now is the biggest uh language learning platform it is the most downloaded education app in both um google play and and the apple store it's both the most downloaded and the highest grossing as well. So from a business standpoint, um, it, it, it's, 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 it's become uh, a, as, as we talk about the monetization journey in 2016, it was nowhere on the map for, for revenue, but today it's the highest grossing education app as well. Um, and we teach more than 40 languages um, on, on Duolingo. And as of the past two years, we're also expanding beyond language learning as well. So we now have a math app. We have a literacy app. Um, so we've, we've um, gone beyond just language learning and now uh, kind of applying what we learned in different subjects. Um, the story of monetization at Duolingo, when Duolingo first launched in 2011, um, it actually was um, relying a lot on translations. So this, this model does not exist anymore, but it's, it launched with the business model of everything you learn on Duolingo would be free, which is still true today. So that certainly has not changed because our mission is to provide... Um, Develop the uh, the world's best education uh, and um, and and provide all of our content for free um, because we we stand for access to education. 
the um, and, and the content was fully free. And the way um, Duolingo was going to make money is as users um, did exercises to learn the language, they would certainly do some translation exercises. And if you crowdsource translations, you can actually sell translation services. So you can take an article from, let's say, CNN, chunk it up, serve it as a, as a challenge to, to your user base. And as they translate it, you can crowdsource what the true translation is and then um, basically automatically um, translate an article uh, because you have so much users doing this, this type of um, exercises. This was the initial model. If you kind of find the old like videos of, of, of Duolingo's pitch and launch, this is what kind of is, is talked about as a business model. Um, it had two challenges for Duolingo. Uh, one of them was if your revenue source is translations, you quickly turn into a translation company. And we never wanted to be one. We always wanted to be an education company. And the second one is translation is a business that's a bit of a race to the bottom. So you, let's say, charge today $5 per hour, $5 per article. Um, and, and you know, that's what you can charge it today. Very quickly, um, there is someone else that will do it for $3 an hour from the Philippines. And then the year after, it's $2. It's, it's a very hard business to one, differentiate, and, and two, have pricing power. So it was kind of a, a business that we didn't see scaling very much. And, and long story short, around 2016, this business model didn't exist. So we were looking for um, how we had a growing user base, but we had no revenue. We were looking for what to do. The, so that's around the time I joined as well. And um, the, the things we tried was, okay, we have a big user base. Our growth is doing really well. And we don't really know what to charge for because we want to provide all the education for free. Ads was the first choice to try because it's like, it's one way to monetize without asking anybody to pay for anything. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that got us to a start. We tested where to put ads, how to make them not intrusive and how much revenue it can generate and what it does to user growth. That led its way to also, if you have ads, users start asking you, well, I got money. Can you give me no ads instead? Um, so it was a natural way to be like, okay, we have ads, we can have a no ads version. We never, at the time, we never thought subscriptions would be the way to go. So we actually tested in-app purchases that have no ads. So you would buy a thing that says you get no ads for 30 days. And in hindsight, it was really stupid, but even like a stupid purchase like that found some traction. So we're like, okay, there, there's demand here. Like our use, some of our user base wants to do this. So naturally that turned into, okay, you could have a no ads, that's a subscription. And then we could build other features that aren't um, necessarily changing any of the education experience, but it changes kind of the added bells and whistles of the user experience. So at the time we launched with a feature set, our first subscription product, that is, um, it had no ads, so it removed ads, it removed, uh, it gave you offline access, so you could use it without internet connection. And then we kind of added a, uh, not a real feature, but we said you could support Duolingo um, because a lot of people we're also writing to us saying, oh, I would love to donate to you guys because I really believe in the mission of what Duolingo is doing. So we kind of added this like feel good feature that didn't really give you a, a change in your experience, but it, it, we called it out as a, as a thing you would do if you bought the subscription. It was, a, it, it changed, this was 2016, end of 16 to 17, that transformed our business because we just saw good traction. Um, it, it, the first experiment was mild, but the more we kind of built features into the subscription, we saw uh, it resonated with um, our user base. So today, more than 80% of our business comes from our, our freemium subscription. The, the, the reason I use the term freemium is everything you want to learn on Duolingo, you can do for free. 
if you would like to upgrade to the premium, that's completely optional. Um, but you do get these added uh, added features. Um, but uh, if your goal is to just learn French and you don't care about the bells and whistles, obviously all of our users um, get to do that for free. Um, and and that's kind of our story, pretty much. I mean, the the, the one other thing I'll mention is we also have a uh, a kind of a game like one off in a purchase business as well um, that is that is growing. And we try to add more game like features that if you don't want to subscribe, you can also buy one off uh, a kind of game style upgrades and boosters, things like that um, with, with in-app purchases. But core, uh, kind of the story of monetization has been growing our, our um, premium subscription. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear it on that side because uh, as somebody like myself who's been, I've been using Duolingo for a long time now. And I think what led me to make the jump to the subscription service was that I had tried taking French as a second language course locally here at the local college at night and it would never stick. And so like I knew what I was paying or what my company was paying to send me there. And then I knew that if I had the, the free version of Duolingo, I, it was, I was inconsistent with it. And then I said one day, if I buy the subscription and I you know, pay for it, I've got some skin in the game and it's still going to be less than what I would pay if I go and do these courses that are still not helping me progress in my French. And I've probably been on it ever since. I don't know when, but, uh, or how long it's been, but, uh, but yeah, that was kind of the thought process for me is that I almost needed that extra like push to like really invest because if I had some money on the table, then it's like can't let it go for too many days because you've 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 got to you've got to make your money is worth it right so that's that's fascinating we do see that which is let me it's there's some benefit to buying the subscription there's the features I'm excited about them but also I think spending money is good for me because I will have skin in the game is is it's it's true I think you'd naturally have more skin in the game as well we we see that with uh with some of our user base and we specifically see it around this time of year because this is we're in january this is new year's resolution time mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. a lot of people want to commit and have skin in the game for the rest of the year so they their habit doesn't fall off yeah uh before we i because I, I have some other things i want to talk to you about with with my own experience but uh you know we talked about the revenue model and obviously i think that hockey stick curve speaks for itself but like coming in when it's when it really has nowhere to go but up is that almost even more daunting when you know that like you've got so many options to potentially take it because anything you do could is going to be an improvement but like do you to find the right one that's going to be sustainable over time like did you find that a daunting process coming in at that point or what was your thought process behind uh you know taking on that task when you did in, in 2016 it was very scary actually like in hindsight everything looks great when you we you know, look at curves that have gone up for a while and it was scary because one you don't know if it's uh, nothing but up like it, it, it's at that point in time you don't know you could also monetize in the wrong way piss off your users and you have no business left so i i think it's hard to know um exactly what will stick so that's that's why we also a b test so many things like we have hypotheses but we're, you can't be 100 percent sure but i think the other reason was um for duolingo the the company went through a pretty cultural change as monetization became an important part of of, of our product set meaning if you go and, and dig through and find um, kind of the um, the old material of Duolingo, it, it, it says things, the old promotional material things says things like we will not have ads, we will not have in-app purchases, and we will not have subscriptions. At its launch, it was like, all right, we'll monetize differently. That, that was the idea. If you say that to a company for, for, for a while, even our, our, our own employees were kind of biased against these things. Like there was just internal bias and a cultural shift to be like, 
if these things are done well, they're not evil to what we're doing. They're actually supportive and they fund our mission. But I think like internal cultural shift was one kind of friction um, to go through. Um, and the other one is, I, I mentioned this, but making sure we test things and find a sustainable model that doesn't hurt our user growth and alienate our user base that is like passionate, excited about having free content. And that's not changing, but they will now see things that we charge for. Like no ads is something you pay for. It, it was certainly daunting because there's a risk that pisses our, off our user base and, and they decide to leave our platform. So there, there's certainly risk there. Um, and, and the third one is, um, it is, the way we decided to monetize this this kind of freemium approach is very much taking the long view on it probably is not the most optimal way to most to make the most revenue in the shortest amount of time if you really want to do that you probably would build the whole thing premium and charge for everything but that's not what we want to do we also don't believe it is the right thing um to do in the long term because i think having a amazing free experience it's, it's good for the world, it's good for our mission, but it's also good for business because it helps our user growth and expand the pie of who's learning languages on Duolingo. Um, not giving to the pressure of, of revenue and optimizing for the short term was the other challenge. So you always wanna keep kind of like, what is good for us in the five to 10 year timeline or beyond rather than what's good for us in the next year. I think that also took general, general convincing as well on, on, on um, defining our business model of freemium and, and kind of making it happen. So uh, long story short, I would say it, it was very daunting and it was pretty scary because if we had screwed it up, we would have no company left. So uh, at the time, it, it, it certainly wasn't obvious. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, like we've, uh, I was going to ask you more about monetization, but I think you've actually hit the nail on the head for us on that. So I was going to, I was going to ask you instead, um, when you look at a service like yours, is the user, maybe I'll ask it this way, how many languages per user for the premium are you seeing? Because if I'm, if I'm like Mike and I'm, and I'm learning to, uh, to, to learn French, for example, would that then empower me to want to then use Spanish? What are you seeing with regard to that kind of behavioral? I know you probably keep excellent data analytics on on the behavior of your users as any good uh, tech company does. But is there any interesting insights you could share there? Yeah, we certainly see a good percentage of our users um, learn multiple languages at once. And the journey differs by user. There's no standard path. But generally, it, meaning some users come in and they're like, I want to learn three languages at once. I know Duolingo has all three. I'm just going to go out of the gate. But it's more likely that your use case for language, uh, for learning a language shifts over time. Today, let's say in six months, you're going to Spain. You want to practice Spanish because you want to order your coffee in Spanish. That's why you came to Duolingo. Great. You start with Spanish. And you really like Duolingo. A year passes. You're like, well, I had actually learned some French in high school. Let me also pick that up. Or I don't know, my interest in Spanish slowed down. Let me continue with French. So we see a lot of switches. There is no obvious pattern, but a good chunk of our daily users learn more than one language. There's no, not a ton of difference between if you are a subscriber versus um, uh, if you're not a subscriber on, on uh, how much languages are being learned. I don't think there's like an obvious pattern, but a, a good percentage of our users um, uh, are interested in learning more than one language. And, and there's, uh, uh, this is probably a distribution, but like, probably a, a small percentage, but there are people that are learning more than five, 10 languages all at once. Um, like there are people that spend hours uh, a day on Duolingo just because they're passionate about languages. So it's, it's certainly a distribution. 
most of our users though, majority of our users are at, at, a, at a given time learning one language, but over their lifetime, um, a lot of users try different, different languages. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like I mentioned earlier, I'm on French right now. Um, my, like I said, it didn't work when I was trying back in the day, but then I had kids and uh, we decided that we wanted our girls to speak French as their first language. So I had no choice, but to learn French. So you, I, I'm in an immersive environment where at home we speak French to our daughters. And then, uh, you know, I, I, at work, I speak English, my wife and I speak English to each other, but like at home, it's, it's exclusively French for the most part, but I find myself where I'll incorporate words when I'm talking to my daughters that I know they haven't taught me. I've picked them up from Duolingo because I do my exercises every day because I'm, I want to keep that hot streak going. I don't want it to go away. So I I'm, I'm on it every day. And I just, I always think about, I am learning because I'm incorporating speech patterns and different words that I haven't used before into my conversations. And we're all learning kind of together, but I'm assuming that that experience that I'm sharing with you right now, I'm sure you guys have heard tons of stories from users over the years, but are there any that you've heard that really stick out to you in terms of like how Duolingo has helped somebody and maybe by taking, you know, being on Duolingo, it's helped them achieve something that they otherwise thought would have been off limits, but by learning a new language, they've been able to accomplish X, Y, or Z or meet somebody that's, you know, changed their life. There's, there's a lot of these stories. Um, uh, A few common ones that are always impressive um, or, or, or just honestly um, heartwarming to hear is um, someone that is um, learning a language to be able to speak to their grandparents or like some um, family members because uh, it just they, they just have this language barrier and Duolingo helps them close that barrier so they're, they're able to connect because of it. Um, another one that we have people that have kind of like um, basically been able to um, either meet their spouse or connect with their spouse because of Duolingo. They, they live in a foreign country. They, they didn't kind of didn't know the language, but learning a little bit of it helped them date and eventually uh, uh, kind of connect with their partner. Um, those stories we always love hearing about. But for me personally, um, the so I'm, I'm from Turkey. That's where I grew up. And we, um, uh, this was, I think, four years ago now, we um, shot a documentary about... Um, uh, Syrian refugees um, that are going through uh, Syrian refugees focused on their language journey because it, it's 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 obviously a heartbreaking story to kind of observe what a refugee goes through when they kind of leave their home country. But language plays a pretty important part. The moment you have you kind of have to exist somewhere that you don't know the language of. We shot a documentary um, that included Turkey, Jordan, and I was part of kind of helping the documentary crew um, and, and talk to our users. So it it was. It, it was heartwarming, eye-opening, and a little bit of uh, life-changing for me to talk to Syrian refugees that now live in Turkey, and they use Duolingo, and they use it uh, mainly because they have basically no money, and there is not a lot of tools for free that you can use to learn a language. And they're they're, use, they're using Duolingo to learn Turkish, to find jobs in Turkey, to integrate into society. And it, it, it made the work we do very meaningful. Um, so I, I, I'm always amazed by refugee stories where, where Duolingo helps them actually integrate into, into their new countries. Yeah, I mean, uh, you don't get a better triple bottom line than that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, um, I'm sure, and I'm not going to bring up uh, competitors of yours, but I have to in order to get a way in on this, Jem. Uh, sure. <laughs> when my wife and I started dating, so my wife comes from a Finnish family. They're from Finland. Her, her first, her first uh, language is Finn. Finn is a notoriously hard language to learn. 
there are not too many other uh, languages like it. Um, she used to boast that Rosetta Stone didn't have a finish option or a finish module because it's so hard. But I know that Finn is part of the Duolingo family of languages. And I wanted to ask you if there are any languages that have eluded Duolingo because of difficulty and uh, and if you could share any interesting stories or thoughts about that. Um, the I think difficulty of a language is rarely a reason for us to uh, uh, to shy away from uh, introducing to uh, Duolingo. So today we have more than 40 languages um, that are being taught um, and more than 90 courses. When I say course, because um, there's also the language you know and the language you're learning. So English to Spanish and Spanish to English are two different courses. That's how we define a course. But anyway, there's more than um, 40 languages and more than 90 courses today. And uh, our, our language set includes like all the kind of the widely spoken languages like Spanish, English, um, French, and, and two endangered ones like Navajo or um, Irish or Yiddish. Um, so it, 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 it's a wide range. We even have fictional languages actually um, uh, like uh, Klingon from Star Trek or High Valyrian from Game of Thrones. So um, it, it, it's certainly a wide range. We, uh, for us, adding a language generally is is uh, is a resourcing um, uh, decision. Obviously, we want to help endangered languages um, uh, be on Duolingo. We also obviously want to cover as much as possible all the widely spoken languages. Um, but it is a lot of work to add uh, a, a, a language course at the quality bar. We want all of our courses to be um, so. And today, total. There's more than 7,000 languages in the world and we have 40. So our goal isn't to obviously add every language we can. I mean, we would love to do it, but it, it's you got to uh, prioritize resources. We're spending a ton of time um, uh, improving the courses we have because adding a course is one piece of the equation. I think how much you can teach in in, in a language is, is also, an, for us, it's an evergreen journey. So our work in teaching Spanish, English, French is never done. It's actually always growing. Um, because we want to inch everyone that's learning the language closer to fluency. Um, so that's our take on on kind of like what what languages to add and what to prioritize. Today, majority of our language work goes into improving the courses we have rather than let's cover all the 7,000 languages we can cover. But obviously we do prioritize and try to expand our um, expand our language base as much as possible. Uh, Finnish was a, uh, a a course that was requested for a long time. So a lot of people were happy uh, when it was introduced. So there there is that part of, of history as well. It's funny because there's a, there's this movement. I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but there's a movement to say uh, that there's a movement of like conspiracy theorists that say fin is, fin, Finland isn't even a country. And it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a construct. There's just Sweden and then Russia and there's nothing in between it. <laughs> But uh, my wife and, and her family obviously beg to differ, but uh, I think there's only something like 5 million uh, on earth uh, native Finnish speakers, but uh, that's cool. I'll have to tell her, uh, I'm going to secretly start Duolingo Finnish and then I'll start uh, understanding what they're saying behind my back at family. <laughs> that would be great. You should. Well, actually I had, I had an inside baseball question because I was just thinking about it. Like obviously with, you know, you either get demand from the user group saying like, I'd love to learn this language um, or, you know, maybe it's a strategic decision to say that we need to add this language to, to you know, to get a new uh, new audience or new user base. But like when the decision is made that you guys are going to add a new language, 
like how long does it actually take from when that decision is made until the resource allocation leads to actually putting that on onto the app and online like what ballpark wise but like what time what type of uh you know resource commitment does that take you guys it really is a wide range, mainly because it really depends on the language and um, how fast we can move. And the reason I say that is, for example, um, if it's a Latin based language, you might not need a lot of custom product work to teach an alphabet, because most of the time, if it's like, let's say, English to a Latin alphabet based language, um, we can use the challenge types we have. We just need to build the right content um, into into kind of the Duolingo experience. But for example, when we wanted to launch Arabic, when we launched that Japanese, you need to teach the alphabet properly. So that requires probably much more product work for us to do well. So those type of like, depending on, um, I guess, if we have kind of the infrastructure and the, the, the right challenge types to add that language, it tends to go faster um, uh, versus uh, if it kind of um, uh, doesn't match um, existing language infrastructure we built, it's gonna require more time. Um, it could go anywhere from, and this is a wide range. We probably had languages that started being worked on and, and launched 24 months after. This is on the on the higher end of the spectrum to ones that launched in three to six months because one, it maybe it was easier and we had a full team working on it um, and 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 it launched. But it's it's generally that type of time frame um, we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so mm -hmm. it really differs, and it's also. And another variable here is if we are, for example, if we have a tight deadline, because let's say we have a launch event that's tied to launching a course, it's maybe a, a celebration in the country that this course is going to be important in it, then maybe timelines get faster because it's like, all right, there's a deadline, we put more resources to get through it versus if there's no hard deadline, it might take longer. So all of those things happen as well. Gotcha. Well, we did want to ask you, how many languages do you speak? And has Duolingo helped you learn any new languages? So I comfortably speak uh, Turkish and English. Um, and on Duolingo, I think I've learned survival Spanish and uh, brushed up a little bit on French. Um, today, I'm, I'm trying to be better in Spanish. So a lot of my Duolingo work is I have a 930-day streak now, and Ooh. I'm continuing on Spanish. I think I'm at 716. So you've got, <laughs> you've got, <laughs> some, you've got some days on me. <laughs> Yeah, street competition is one of those things where unless I mess up, I can I can always be ahead. But that's that's uh, I guess part of the game. Yeah, <laughs> I I, uh, I have another thing I wanted to ask you, but it just came to mind when when you said like celebrations in countries and then deadlines like that. Do you see a spike during like for example an Olympic competition where maybe athletes are all sort of learning at once or up? Like, do you have? enough resolution on your data to, to see that kind of thing? We, we certainly have the resolution. Um, generally, we, we see trends that are the other way around for a lot of events. For example, during the World Cup, uh, mm. people are distracted by, what well, if you look at a, a country, let's say, let's take Argentina, we saw uh, uh, on the day where, where Argentina is playing the final, you kind of see a decline because the majority of the country is watching the World Cup and they are probably less likely to keep their streak or like, kind of our normal traffic doesn't hold up as much. Um, so big major events where you know a majority of a population is involved with, um, Christmas, et cetera. So those, those type of holidays, our traffic tends to like dip down. Um, 
However, we have other moments of the year where it does the opposite. So New Year's is our biggest growth period in, in almost every country. Obviously, also the concept of a new year is different by country. Mm. But generally, in, in kind of the North Hemisphere and the Western world, it's, it's around January 1st or January. It's a big growth period. Another one is back to school. So around August, um, it's both students obviously coming back. But also, I, I think... Um, summer vacation vibe dies off. So people want to pick back up their normal routines and habits. So that's another growth period we see. Um, yeah, I would say those are those are the most obvious ones. Um, I think the, depending on the holiday, um, I think a lot of holidays in general, since kind of people break their routines, tend to give us traffic dips rather than uh, increases. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in the quantified world, you just must have those those trends sort of at your fingertips, right? Yeah, we we measure all of these, and sometimes it's 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 taken us a while to explain them. Even like for example, mm -hmm. for years we always in January is an amazing growth period, but then early uh, mid February we have a dip, and we kind of never exactly figured it out. But if you look at the exact day that the dip is being caused by, it turns out it's Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is always a dip day for us. <laughs> it makes sense, but it took us a while to figure it out. Wow! <laughs> Tell the card companies. Anyway. Um... <laughs> I wanted to, uh, and thanks for, for spending the better part of a half hour with us. It's been uh, really enlightening and, and even inspiring. Um, you mentioned sort of at the outset that uh, Duolingo is not done necessarily with language. Uh, you, you also uh, launched uh, Math Duolingo on iOS this past October. And you're talking about learning other or teaching other concepts through the platform. Could you give us a sneak peek of that sort of like what's next for Duolingo if you can? Uh, with uh, with some of these rollouts coming up, sure. So right now, um, uh, the 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 subjects we teach, so language, obviously, uh, kind of our our, our biggest product. Uh, there's math, um, there is, and then there's literacy, so uh, reading and writing. Um, the one potential other subject, and I say potential because it, it might or might not happen, but one where we are thinking about is also music. Um, the and the idea for us to do these, um, generally these subjects is apply kind of what we've learned on, on Duolingo uh, to different subjects. So it's very gamified, content is, is always free. Um, and um, it's all the gamification mechanics that exist on Duolingo are gonna make their way to, 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 to our apps for different audiences and different subjects. So that's kind of what we are, 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 are thinking of doing. In the future, we might also do more kind of bundled products where you can imagine a world where your streak in, in one app is your Duolingo streak that applies to others. We'll, we might build more holistic experiences. We're certainly not there yet. Right now, what we're really focused on is just building um, apps that really teach a subject well, and it's fun to use. Mm -hmm. um, and and the, the latest one was math. So we're, we're, we're investing a lot in figuring out how we can do math. Um, and the reason we did math um, as well, well, literacy and math um, both, is they really fit well into why also we did language because learning English, for example, in a developing country really uplifts your earning potential. Mm -hmm. Literacy the same way, actually learning math the same way. So they, they, it, if we are able to educate people better on these subjects, it really uplifts their, their earning potential um, and, and life outcome, hopefully. So it makes a positive change in the world. Um, so that's, that was also kind of the, the, the reason behind why, why these three subjects first.
Yeah, and if you guys end up doing music, Mike's going to be putting your kids through college <laughs> because he's going to be a super user of that one too. I, I could just feel it. I, I was going to say, if you, if one of those features on that app is to teach me how to like talk and play guitar at the same time, I will <laughs> I will subscribe right away. For I've been playing guitar and bass since I was like 14 years old, and I have never figured out how to. I can't sing one, so that's fine that I don't sing. But I cannot <laughs> I cannot talk or sing and play at the same time. I don't know, my brain is just not wired. <laughs> that way but there's got to be a way for me to figure it out so we'll see <laughs> all right well keep, keep an eye um, <laughs> okay uh, uh jem kansu thank you so much for joining us uh, from duolingo uh it was awesome and uh, we, i think our listeners uh uh will definitely get a lot of the discussion we had uh, and thanks for sharing your time with us today thanks guys it was it was great to chat about all of these with you yeah no great. thanks for joining us appreciate it Hello, Steve. Comment ça va? That is so uh, French Canadian, right? Hello. Hello. Yeah. That's what's my 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 children are French Canadian. I learned from them, so I'm assuming that's what I speak. You know, it's a really cute thing to watch your daughters too, because I remember when Zoe was really young and just learning to speak. And I mean, I think I spoke French when I was her age, but she legitimately had a uh, French Canadian accent. Oh yeah, uh, you know, from from really young, and I guess it's uh, it's it's just really interesting to see that, right? It's 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 such a wild ride because honestly, if you would ask me like 15, 20 years ago, I would not have thought that I'd have kids that speak French, <laughs> yeah. and you know that probably would have like scared me because I didn't speak French. Yeah, but uh, it's but then then see them, you know, speak French, and then learning French with them. But then the funny parts are when they learn how to speak English. And then you you watch them try to navigate a language that I'm most comfortable with, mm-hmm. and it's just it's really it's really interesting to see it that way, right? Because we found that uh, you know when Zoe was obviously was French was her first language, and then it it took a little while, and I know that for sure, you know there was some anxiety in the family, you know in my family around like is she ever going to learn English? Is like is it just <laughs> French? Like what if we can't communicate with her? And then like honestly, one day with her. It just clicked and all of a sudden sure. it's like I speak English now and French and and she can kind of switch off between the two so seamlessly. I wish I would get to that level of proficiency and who knows, maybe one day I will, but she's, it's wild. And then, you know, my youngest Sophia just started speaking English like way earlier than Zoe ever did. Right. And I'm assuming it's because she picked up on everything that her sister was saying or what we've been saying, but it was honestly like all of a sudden it's like, whoa, like you're, you speak English now too. And uh <laughs> So it's 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 quite the while it's been quite the ride for sure. But I I will say that Duolingo has been a big part of my my journey. It's uh I I do like to try to keep my streak going every day, and so it's like the gamification of the app I think genuinely works. And I think you know he's talking about going into different verticals with math. Math is something that I could probably I probably should take uh to kind of up my skills here and there. Just it wasn't a wasn't a subject of mine that I you know, had a lot of success with, but. Uh, but yeah, the gamification model. Do you do anything like this, Steve? Like, I don't. I know that you're not a Duolingo user, but you are going to now, so that you can get some, uh, you know, finish under your belt and one up your in-laws at the next family dinner. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was always a good language learner, gen- like uh, generally. I remember going when I was twelve to Holland and spending a few months there. Uh, that's where my uh, mom's family's from, and and I picked it up really quickly. But I think the fertile mind of youth is something to be said mm-hmm. for, and I think that really is where your kids are coming from too, right? They they're sponges at that age. Um, but like I'm always really interested in languages. Um, 
I think it's interesting that they have Klingon and Finn on Duolingo <laughs> because I always thought that was the same language. But uh, we'll find out if you're, if Tanya listens to this. We podcast. will definitely <laughs> find out. I tell her all the time that uh, I think Finn sounds like Klingon, but I'm prepared to be wrong about that. <laughs> no, but definitely going to start some clandestine uh, Duolingo Finn uh, courses now that I know it's on the app, and uh, we'll see if uh, if I can best them at the next uh, dinner. Yeah, no, I, I look forward to seeing your progress because I think even before we had Jem on today, you know, the story you shared about how, you know, Finnish wasn't on Rosetta Stone. We even looked on my Duolingo app because I think you were convinced that it wasn't there either. Yeah, it, it is there. We don't we didn't ask when they, when they added it. I'm sure not sure if you would have known that anyway. But uh, mm. but yeah, it's it's there more than 40 languages. I, I wanted to ask him, you know, what's you know, can you give us a sneak peek at what languages you're dropping this year? But I felt as though you know it's probably yeah. not gonna he's not gonna give us that info but uh i'm sure well, they've got it, he's gone now so it's too late it's too late we missed our chance but there's seven thousand languages he said in the world and they have over 40 so i think there's a lot of a lot of potential there to grow i don't think they're going to capture every every language but i'm sure they'll, they'll i think they're doubling job. up on a couple here i don't know if there's 70 7, 000, i don't know i don't know i mean you yeah. I'm gonna take his word over yours. That's let's just. Yeah, say that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Here's here's me just making stuff up. But, yeah, you know uh, what? I, I what about the VP of uh, product? Uh, to yeah. <laughs> he might know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, he does. save me from myself. Thanks yeah. everyone from uh, for for joining and uh, tuning into uh, Gem today. And I'm sure uh, it was as fascinating as we found it. Semen prochain. Au revoir. The unlikely innovators with Mike Camito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining.